Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Now, one realtor gets traction in a hyper-competitive market. There are literally thousands of real estate agents in the greater Sarasota area. To say it's hyper-competitive is an understatement. Not surprisingly, one agent gets traction using YouTube and other internet tools to promote his business. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams, and I'm very pleased to welcome realtor Matt Light of Real Broker. In this episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Matt, how becoming a family man pushed him into a career in real estate, What's happening in real estate right now? How rising interest rates are impacting the local market? The importance church plays in his life and much, much more. Thank you for listening today. As it is my hope you will listen, learn, and connect. Matt Light, realtor at Real Broker. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. Good to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm always interested in talking about real estate because it's such a a big industry, obviously in the greater Sarasota market. And so to have somebody on like you is going to be a lot of fun because the market's changing pretty quickly right now. There's a lot going on nationally. There's a lot going on locally. And so I think the listeners are going to be interested to hear some of the latest of what's happening. And so I thought to bring you on would be a lot of fun. And we're going to get into all that sort of jazz, but I'm not going to let you go before I ask you what's one thing that most people don't know about Matt. Ooh, that's a great way to start this. Um, You know, one thing I think, if you know me personally, you probably know these things. But if you kind of know me professionally or through YouTube or or social media, uh, you might not know it. But I am very much into sports. I'm ultra competitive. Um, I was a kicker in college um, over at uh, Florida Atlantic FAU. I know they're in the uh, final four coming up here. That's cool. Um, Very cool. And then I'm also uh, really into music. I am a worship director at a local church here in Sarasota as well. That's neat. That's neat. So certainly you can have a football story to tell us, right? I mean, oh man, football stories. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, was it ever a deal where you, you kicked a 50 yard winning field goal and then got plastered by you know some 300 pound lineman or something like that? Or you know, I wish. I remember one time on a kickoff. Um, you know, I kick, kicked off and you're going down the, the down the field and you got to keep, I learned real quick, you got to keep your head on a swivel. 
because all I remember is seeing numbers like 62 or 65. And that was the last thing I saw. <laughs> it just came out of nowhere. Like, okay, you gotta kill the kicker. Kill the kicker. Exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. <laughs> Well, that's funny. That's funny. I, I never played the game uh, really past middle school, but uh, uh, based on that story, I'm glad I didn't. I was a basketball guy. Well, that's okay. pretty cool. Yeah. Well, listen, you're originally from the Boston area, but you moved here as a kid. So what was it like growing up in the Sarasota area? And then share with us, you know, why you chose real estate. Yeah. So growing up here, it's a lot different now than what it was sure. <laughs> back then. I remember when Lakewood Ranch pretty much was nothing. Like if, if you had a friend that lived out in Lakewood Ranch, it was like, why do you live way out right. there? Yeah. <laughs> um, there wasn't a ton going on east of I-75, um, but I loved everything about it. I went to, you know, Ashton Elementary, Sarasota Middle School and, and Riverview High School. I was really involved, you know, in, in all those schools at, at Riverview. I was, um, you know, started a fellowship at Christian Athletes Club there and was just really connected with a lot of the faculty, a lot of the students, everything like that. Um, and I mean, we live in Sarasota. We've got CS to Key. What a great place to grow oh, up. Sure. Oh, I remember sure. when I went off to, uh, to college, um, you know, I was at FAU over in Boca Raton and I went to the beach there and I, you know, went there with friends and I said, okay, well, where's the beach? Cause I, my only perception of beaches was CS to Key. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was kind of a little bit of a shock. I clearly took CS to Key for granted. Um, you know, but, um, then, you know, how I got involved into real estate, was after college, I ended up graduating from UCF in Orlando, go Knights. And then I was right. working in the um, athletic ticket department and I had became the director of group sales. And <clears throat> at that time, my wife and I, we had gotten married and she was a uh, school teacher in Orlando. And, you know, when we were going through premarital counseling, we talked about the four D's. You dialogue daily, you date weekly, you depart quarterly, and then you dream together yearly. And so I remember that in that first year we were dreaming and it was, you know, where do we want to be in five years? Where do we want to be in 10 years? Like where, where is the ship going? So to speak. Wow. That's great. And you know, I was, you know, not making a ton of money doing what I was doing. I thought I wanted to be an athletic director at the, you know, division one collegiate level. But then I looked at my boss and it's seven o'clock at night. I'm leaving the office. I know he's got young kids and he's still there. And I'm like, do you ever get that opportunity to see your kids? Cause then you're flying with the teams on the weekend and traveling and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, I don't think you could pay me enough money to sacrifice that relationship with my kids. And we weren't even thinking of having kids yet at that time. Um, and so, you know, then we, I, you know, I was leading worship at a church up in Orlando as well. Um, and I saw a lot of my friends and, and mentors and things like that. And, and the worship, you know, uh, field and they would, you know, go plant a church or something like that. And they would have to raise their own support and send out, you know, letters raising, you know, part of their salary. And then the church could pay for part of their other because there just wasn't a lot of resources. And, you know, I thought to myself, came from a, a background of, of business between my parents and my brothers. And I was like, you know, one day I want to be the person to write those checks sure, to help yeah. fund somebody or help that. Um, I don't want to be the one writing that letter. And so I said, you know, we can't do that when we're just, you know, making $7 commission on a ticket sale. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's and, tough. And so then around that time, my mom, she's been in real estate in Sarasota for a long time. Um, she had called and said, hey, are you ready to, you know, move back to Sarasota and try to build a career 
um, to make more income. And so I was like, sure, you know, what better mentor to have than somebody who's one of the top agents in the state of Florida, um, you know, teaching the, the traits. And so that's really why, you know, we decided to jump into real estate. We knew moving here, my wife had a stable job in teaching and uh, she was an elementary school teacher in Sarasota County and we didn't have any kids. So we could take the risk of a hundred percent commission based job and go from there. And so you've been in the industry for about seven years then at this point, seven, eight years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's cool. You know, it's, it's interesting as you were talking, I was thinking back to episode 112. I had a fellow on the show by the name of Tom uh, Lelio. He's actually a jet broker. Same deal. He was a youth pastor for a number of years, but they started having all these kids. They're saying that's really tough to make a living as a youth pastor. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so he just, you know, just took a wild flying leap and answered a ad in the newspaper. And he's a jet broker. And I think he's doing quite well at this point. So that's yeah. an interesting story. I mean, you do have to provide for your family. So, so, so in the seven years, so you really weren't here for the last debacle, if you will, in right. the real estate industry. So right now you've just kind of been in the sweet spot where everybody's coming down here looking to buy. They're moving from different parts of the country, but that also is makes it difficult because there's a lot of realtors in the local market between Manatee and Sarasota. How in the world do you get traction as, you know, you know, just as a broker and a right. listing agent. Yeah, there's a lot of competition out there. <laughs> Tremendous, yeah. I think there was a, uh, you know, people had a, you know, a, a thought thoughts in their minds of, you know, during COVID and 2020, 2021, 2022, oh, you're a realtor in Florida, you got to be killing it. And it was, well, there's not a lot of inventory. I think at one point in time, Sarasota, our area had less than two weeks supply of, of month supply of inventory, meaning yes. we had the least amount of inventory in the country. Right. Um, or almost in the country at that time. And so great. Everybody wants to move here. But there was times where I would put an offer in and there was over 30 offers for the same house. Well, guess what? Isn't that incredible? One realtor gets paid on that. <laughs> Not all of them. Um, and so that's where I think, you know, people get into real estate. They get this, you know, skewed, you know, images in their mind of, you know, you get a lot of downtime. You get all these things. They see realtors posting on social media. You know, they're at the beaches, they're on vacation or, or what, whatever it is. And they think that that's the reality of it and the career. And it's not, you know, it, it's just not, not true. And so every realtor gets into this business and you've got to think, how do you create sustainability? You know, because you go and sell $2 million in real estate or you go sell 5 million one year or 10 million. Yes. Guess what? Next year you start at square zero. <laughs> you start, you start back at the ground level. And so. I think realtors need to figure out ways to kind of create sustainability in this business. And so for some people, it could be blogging. For others, it can be cold calling, uh, you know, for sale by owners. Others, it can be sitting on open houses or right. doing mailers, whatever it is. Um, you've got to kind of figure out what that niche is. And I tried a lot of different things, spent a lot of money figuring out what didn't work. Um, and then I came across uh, really when 2020 happened and my son was born, he was born beginning of March. COVID comes out like days later. Um, nobody is thinking about buying or selling real estate. Right. Your Google Analytics for your website just crash. And you're like, well, now what? Where do I go from here? And so at that time, I decided to pivot my business model. And I decided to start learning how to create video. 
and I saw that video is going to be the future. Yep. It's going to be around for a very, very long time. Yeah. And so I didn't know really much about cameras or drones or editing or color correcting, none of this stuff. But I, you know, I started going on YouTube and looking up other realtors or other people who content creators who do this. Sure. I was like, okay, so the only difference between me and them is they have the education around how to do it. That's it. That's the only difference between us. Okay. So I can grind it out and be disciplined enough to go teach myself and get my own education of how to do this. So I would wake up early. I remember, you know, rocking my son and reading blogs of aperture and lens settings and ISO and then watching videos on how to make videos. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I've that, been there, done that. Right. Just started this podcast. Trial, yeah. Trial and error. And so I would yeah. take my camera, I would go to, you know, a model home and I would shoot it the same shot seven or eight different times, change one setting on it, then put it back into the, into the computer to edit to see like, okay, great. Which one is the better one? Which one looks the best? And so sure. that's kind of what I started to do and just started surrounding myself with people um, that knew a lot more about editing than I did and content creating than I did. And uh, a lot of people within my brokerage right now at Real Broker, that's what they do. Um, and so that's just been a, a great pool of people who are creating amazing, beautiful content around the entire country that I can learn from really whenever I want. It's amazing. I mean, of course, for the last decade, I think the most feared but prescient word has been disruption. And I think YouTube has been invaluable because yeah. you can get the most fantastic training for free. On the other hand, you know, of course, it's disrupted some markets where people got paid to do it. But I've been exactly where you are, you know, with, with podcasting. And so I, I have a great podcast host that's helped me with a lot of stuff. But that's really cool. We we'll talk a little bit more about, about what you have on YouTube. But let, let's get in a little bit about the real estate market right yeah. now. You went through that time, as you just said, where you had 20 or 30 bids on a single property. And now that market has changed. We have rising interest rates. We have a little bit of loosening up on the markets. At least that's what we hear, you know, kind of in broad strokes. Yeah. But what's the reality right now locally? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is this, is that you've got to look, you know, everyone wants to say, what's your crystal ball say with pricing and all this stuff? And I just tell them it's broken, it's in the shop. <laughs> um, but what I would say is this, is keep it simple. In the terms of pricing comes from supply and demand. Period. Now things can change supply. Things can change demand, you know, other outside sources, but it ultimately is that if we don't have a ton of inventory and there's a big demand, those prices are going to be very high and vice versa. If all of a sudden we have a lot of homes for sale, demand isn't there. Now that those prices are going to drop off. And so in terms of what I think is happening here in Sarasota, and this is where you've got to look because real estate's local. You can't be looking at these national type of, of headlines. You've got to be looking at what's happening here locally. And so what I'm seeing is that before COVID, and I, you know, I know we're recording, don't quote me on the statistic, but I know it's going to be out there right, forever. Right, right. <laughs> but I believe uh, the Sarasota International Airport had one or two million people through it every year. Now that since COVID has doubled. So we have double the amount of people flying into Sarasota annually to visit Sarasota, to experience Sarasota, all those things like that. So clearly we see demand has increased right? Sure. Supply, that's going to fluctuate 
depending on builders and depending on if people are trying to sell, um, you know, their, their own resale personal homes. And so that's always going to change. And I look at it as when somebody's sitting here saying, you know, the market's going to re- regress 50%. And I would ask them this. I would say, do you think that CS to key is going to be less valuable next year than it is right now? And they say, no. Depends on, it depends on red tide. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Isn't, so that <laughs> Isn't that a curveball? Isn't that a curveball? Anyway, yeah, go I ahead, mean, People please. would think it is. But then when you pull the data and the analytics and you look at those months of red tide, you know, year over year, there's still more transactions that happen out on CS to key, regardless wow. of it. Um, so it's 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 tough. Now, if we start seeing red tide and it just is, you know, months out of the year, I think that is where now demand that can change demand, you know, and sure. supply and demand go into that. And, you know, what I try to do is I try to pull every single quarter. I try to pull real estate numbers based on areas. So like Palmer Ranch, I pull those. West of the Trail, Siesta Key, Lakewood Ranch, because everything is so different from one another. You can't just say the whole of Sarasota is this. Right. You got to say what's happening here. And then when I when I do like a video on it every quarter, I don't just sit there and say, oh, 2,000 homes sold this month. Because I don't even know what that means. You have, Nobody knows what that means. But I basically will say, you know, this is what I think is happening in terms of buyers. This is why it's valuable to you. Here's what you need to think about as you navigate that. It, it's interesting. I had a fellow realtor of yours, uh, Clint Caston. He, I think he's with Sotheby's, but he was back on episode 105. And he said the same thing that you did. He says, like, you really have to get down to the neighborhood, that a client wants to buy in because it's really that specific. And so the big real estate sites, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you know, Zillow and realtor.com, you know, they're helpful, but there's still information that's missing. And that's why you need a local realtor who really knows the market and the individual houses of, uh, and the specifics of that. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Every neighborhood, you know, cause even when, you pull comparable properties, you're going to pull it based on that neighborhood. You're not going yeah. to pull it from a neighborhood that's five miles away. That That's not comparing apples to apples. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Where are folks coming from? Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> California, New York, New Jersey, high tax states. Um, you know, people it, during COVID, it was the states that had lockdowns and restrictions. You had families moving here because their kids might have been playing sports and they weren't getting recruited because they weren't playing. Right. Right. In Florida, you know, I was a volunteer coach at Riverview High School uh, for the football team. They didn't miss a game um, during during all of it. So you right. had a kid moving here from, uh, you know, everywhere to to play. And same thing with. I'm sorry. I said one of the things that and we were talking about, you work primarily with new construction. And that's where a lot of your businesses come from. So you're obviously working with builders or you get to know builders and and. um what is happening as far as are there any bottlenecks still on materials? Because like, for example, I'm actually in the Osprey area. And so sometimes I'll head out on Clark Road and I have some friends out there and you see the big Sky Ranch going in some some other large developments. And but I, I I'm curious about how they are dealing with some of the supply chain issues. Actually, in the home I'm living in right now, I am waiting for. A new roof. And so uh, my home is oh, in 90. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, built in 97. But uh, my roofer, very highly regarded, Zola Roofing, they are waiting for, you know, 
all the materials to arrive. So it, it's, and I've been, and I will have to wait, you know, better part of six months. And they were very upfront about it. So I'm seeing in every, you know, I, I'm, I'm so over the word supply chain issues, right? I think everybody's over that word. But you also have to think, you know, anytime we're, we're such a large country, such a large economy, that when something changes, it takes a while to feel that ripple effect. When interest rates started going up, it took it takes six to nine months until you start to feel the effects of those decisions. So when they really? shut off the spigot to stop producing lumber, and the main reason why, um, from what I read and researched when that happened, when COVID hit, was they were afraid that 2008 was going to happen. And they didn't want to get stuck with lumber that was going to go bad. And that's what happened with a lot of these lumber factories. So they they stopped production, period. Well, we didn't. they didn't know that demand and builders were going to be ordering twice as much lumber. So here they are stopping production. Twice as many people are trying to get it. Builders are trying to get it. And now it's just taking time to catch up. And it's going to take months, if not years, for that you know cycle to catch up. Um, you know, and I think there's bigger things to it. And I'm not well-versed at all in terms of the political front of trade and, and all right, imports, exports, right. all that stuff. But I know that played a big role in it of why you had shipping containers full of, you know, these building supplies or microchips or whatever it was that yeah. needed to operate an AC system and all those different components. Like the automobile industry. Oh my goodness. Right? Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, real estate's no different in, in, in terms of that. People still paying primarily with cash? I would say, you know, I would say about 50% of our market is cash right now, which is crazy when you think about that. Just, you know, I, I remember when someone calls like, yeah, I'm going to be cash. Yeah, great. Get in line. You, you and the other guy, <laughs> um, you know, I know cash is king. Um, and it, you know, every transaction is going to be different. Um, you know, does it hold a lot of weight for new construction when you're building? No. They don't really care because you're going to put the same deposit down if you're cash or financing. And if you can't close, they're going to happily take your money. I'll bet. Yeah, of course. Well, one of the things that I read, and I, you may have touched upon this, I just want to explore it a little bit more, is that people still have an unrealistic price on their home. And it, I mean, because and typically that's, I should say that's typical because you know the emotional aspect, and of course, you know we're on the selling side. If, if we're putting our house up on the market, yeah. the supply uh, has not really decreased much at all. So, so I, what do you what do you see happening? How long does it take for people to come to the realization that you know, in order for me to move this house, yeah. I'm going to have to get a little bit more realistic? And then, how do you coach yeah. a seller in that? Yeah, market? that's a great that's a great question, Bob. So, and, you know, two years ago. A house on the street would sell for seven hundred, so then you would list it for seven twenty five, and you would sell it for seven seventy five, and then the next person would list it seven seventy five, and then they would get eight hundred. It was such an appreciating market. I think it appreciated a total of, of over seventy percent, you know, during COVID, um, and since we've seen somewhat of a, of a regression, and so sellers they still in their minds are thinking that oh yes. I'm going to get that California sucker fish to come over here and just pay something crazy because they don't know what's happening. They don't really know the market, um, but California's values are going down. So they're a lot more cautious now when they're looking at buying just because they're like, oh, wait a minute. Our home might not be worth as much as we thought in California right. because our market is really depreciating. Um, and so when I coach sellers on it, you know, I'll have my list of, hey, here's the active properties in your neighborhood. 
Here's the pendings and here's the sold. Active, we call this fantasy land. This is what somebody wants to pay. The sold, this is reality. This is actually what somebody paid for your house. So I know we all want to live up here in fantasy land, but we need to operate in reality. And so statistic after statistic, I can show you all over the place. You, the first seven to 10 days you put a house on the market, you are going to get almost all the traction you're going to see in the lifetime of that listing. Period. Really? That short time period? I will track a lot of times how many realtors email it out in the MLS. Because to me, that's somebody searching for homes for somebody and they're going to email it out. And they're the ones who are going to schedule the book showings. Buyers never, not common that they just call the listing agent directly. Usually they have an agent. And so when I track that, it might be 400 or 500 emails the first week. The next week, 30 or 40. It drops off that much. And so now, great, you want to do a price reduction. You're still going to get 30 or 40, maybe even less. And so you wanted to shoot for the stars, but now you're going to go ahead and have to drop that price to be actually realistic. But you already lost all of that kind of like Google juice that's out there because you're no longer new anymore. And so you're trying to find that balance. And there are realtors that I call buy the listing and they'll go tell a seller like, oh, yeah, we can get you for this. They know they can't. They're just going to ask you for a price reduction in 14 days. And here's the deal. They probably have a six-month contract with you and you want to sell the house. So eventually you're just going to continue to keep reducing the price until it sells. No, Is it the most ethical way for a realtor to go about it? No. But you know there are realtors out in our industry that do that. Well, you got six, six or 8,000 of them in the area. So as a, Yeah, there's more know, licensed realtors in the state of Florida right now than, than California. At the time I was approached by a friend of mine to go into, actually it was commercial real estate. I looked at the statistics. I came across some headline that like, there are more realtors in the United States than there was inventory. And I'm like, why would I want to go into that market at this time? So how how much does um, price per square foot figure into the real value of the home? I mean, obviously, you know, values depend upon the buyer and seller, but someone will calculate this price per square foot. How much is that? really relevant? It comes, it's relevant based on the neighborhood. Again, Mm. if somebody calls me from New York and they say, what's the price per square foot for this house? And I go, that's relative. Are you talking on the water? Are you talking in, you know, the neighborhood you live in or the neighborhood I live in? You and I are going to have drastically different price per square foot. So the only time it really comes into effect is really when an appraiser comes out and you're making an offer on the house and you're pulling comps for that neighborhood. Now you're looking at what is this neighborhood selling at price per square foot? But in terms of it being an overall metric, it's not a great metric to go by. Interesting. Let's talk about your YouTube channel. And it's Matt, M-A-T-T-L-E-I-C-H-T. That's your YouTube channel. What is it meant to your business when you start? First off, how long have you had the, the channel? And then what is it meant to your business? Yeah. So I probably started getting serious with the channel towards the end of 2020. Yeah. So, you know, I'm at two and a half, three years on, on the channel and it has revolutionized my business. My business has probably grown four to 500%, um, in, in one year's time span. So I will, um, you know, I'll get around three to 400 people that will reach out to me organically every single year. Um, you know, on that channel, and I'll close about one out of every thirteen of those people in a in a contract. Um, and at the time when I started, it was just me. I didn't have an assistant. Yeah, I didn't have 
I was editing all the videos. I was making all the phone calls. I was doing everything. Um, and so then as I've grown and, you know, scaled it, I've got a, a buyer's agent on my team. I've got an assistant. My wife, she does a ton with writing scripts and editing and creating. She's kind of the brains behind the whole operation. I might be on the face of the camera, but everything kind of comes from her brain, a lot of it. Um, and so, you know, YouTube has just been very revolutionary to, to my business. That's cool. That's really, that's really, really cool. Where do you want to take your business? You've been in the, you've been in the industry for seven years. You have a growing family, young children that you, so you're going to have, uh, you know, growing needs. I'm giving yeah. you a preview of life's coming attractions here is now that I'm in my grandfather age. Uh, where do you want to take your business? Yeah, I've got three kids, ages four and under. Um, you know, so I told you before the show, I was up at 4 a.m. this morning. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the days are long, but the years are short right now is kind of the the, the age and stage that, that we're in. Those um, years will grow shorter, Matt. I'm yeah. telling you, you, the weeks go by like days for me right now. Yeah, Please, right. Go ahead. Um, and so I think. You know, I had somebody ask, you know, basically tell me this in, in kind of a, a mentor role. They said, you know, Matt, what's the lifestyle that you want and build your business to attain that? If you want to go live in a $10 million house on Bird Key, then you need to build a business to sustain that. If that's not, and that might be working, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week building a business to do something like that. Um, you know, that's sacrificing relationships that's with right. maybe family. And so I think the bigger question is, is, you know, kind of that life and we're going to get like super deep here um, that kind of that life question. And I think, you know, sustainability is a big key for me. Um, and I think that YouTube and video content, video production has opened my eyes to see how my business has been able to just be very sustainable, even in a market shift, people are still contacting me, everything like that. And now kind of with having a, you know, a great buyer's agent, Julie, she's fantastic on my team and facilitating kind of leads over to her. And she is just so personal. We got tons of experience. Um, it just allows me and frees me up to do more of those things that I love to do, which is the whole really premise of kind of also getting involved in real estate is, you know, I love being around sports. I love being around my family. I love, you know, being, you know, involved with my church. And so I think, you know, where I want to go with it is continue to build the sustainability, the model that I have, so I can continue to do those things that I love to do. And, you know, really like, you know, between, you know, this, I, I love everything that I do at the church, you know, leading worship. I love everything that goes along with that. Um, you know, there's just so much that, that goes into that and so much that comes out of that, that, you know, having a business that can allow me to pour a lot of time into that. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm living the best life. That's great. That's great. And that's, that's a great place to, to wrap this up, but I will say, uh, you know, what, what impresses me about just this short discussion that we've had here is we realize that we all have to make trade-offs. Right. And what, it, and it seems to me like you got into this business because the trade-off you were not willing to make early on was kind of to live in poverty while you're trying to grow a family and you chose this as, and you took the risk. Right. To get into this business, but also you're making the trade-off of saying, well, I'm not going to go after the $10 million home on Bird Key. I'm just going to balance what I'm doing now between my responsibilities as a as a dad and and uh, with my church one on. So I think that that's a that's a very very cool set of values well, that you and, have. And just to tag on to that, 
you know, I remember when my wife's grandfather passed away in 2017 and I remember, you know, seeing his wallet on the countertop and something we have so much value in throughout our entire life. If we, if we'd lose that thing for 10 minutes, we are freaking out, <laughs> you know, our car keys, everything like that, you know, your license, you're, you're just, you're freaking out. And then yet in a, in a, in a moment, all of a sudden it's worthless. It's totally has no value to it. And so I think, you know, it's so easy in my business and real estate, especially being on YouTube and creating content to run, 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 run on the hamster wheel as fast as you can. You need to get more followers, more subscribers, more reach, more all these things. And it's like at the end of the day, for what? Because it's not really that valuable in, mm. in the big scheme of things. And so I think it's, you know, for everybody out there, it's kind of reevaluating, you know, your life. Um, and, you know, for us, like, we are pretty, you know, a conservative Christian family and we are raising our kids with conservative Christian values. Um, you know, the two greatest commands that Jesus said was to love God and to love others. And so I look at that of how do I implement those types of principles into my business and how do I get into platforms? You know, every every person I work with, they know that I'm a Christian. They know that, you know, I'm involved with my church and things like that, because I think that that is kind of more of, you know, kingdom mindset. And, you know, this life is not the end. You know, this is just temporary. And so I think beginning, you know, everything with the end in mind is the way to go. I've thought about doing a series on churches around here and the different philosophies and doctrine yeah. and whatnot. So, see, I may have to have you back on the show <laughs> to talk about your church. Well, Matt, listen, it's been a pleasure having you on the Sarasota Stories podcast. And I hope to have you back in the future. So, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Uh, if it is virtually, hopefully, we'll yeah. meet face to face sometime real soon. Awesome, Bob. Thanks for having me today. Appreciate all right. it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. We appreciate you all. Bye bye. Hello, dear listeners. This is Bob again. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect.